Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I am interviewing Stacy Caprio. She specializes in flipping websites or at least purchasing them. So we're going to talk about a few of the, I guess, case studies and some examples of what she has done in the past and just generally learn about Stacy. Before I send it over to the interview with Stacy Caprio, she put together a checklist, a website investing checklist, so you can go sign up for her email list and get that. Now, I'll send it to the interview. Stacy, how are you doing today? Hey, Doug, I'm doing great. How's your day so far? Really good. Sunny day out here in uh, Colorado. Where are you located, by the way? I'm over here in Chicago. It's also pretty sunny out, which is nice. Very good. Well, for the people that don't know you, can you give us a little bit of an intro on who you are and what you do? Definitely. I am the owner of her.co and my site and I help people and entrepreneurs and website owners learn how to grow their site and buy websites and start and grow businesses. I personally have bought five websites and been able to grow them to achieve financial independence and be able to live on my own in my dream apartment in Chicago here and do what I love each day. So I love helping other people do that as well. I used to be in the nine to five world and I'm very happy that I'm now with all of the website builders who get the freedom to design their day each day. So happy to be here. Thanks, Doug. So, and I didn't even know you were in the financial independence area. That's a whole other thing we can talk about. We'll table that for now. But how did you get started with, I guess, owning websites or or buying them in general? I was reading a lot of online case study blogs and people. Uh, I actually hadn't heard of Doug yet at this point. This was five years ago, but the one of the blogs that really inspired me was Spencer Hawes' Niche Pursuits. So I was reading that uh, one day and while well, I was still at my nine to five, and I first heard about Flippa, where you, you can buy and sell websites on that marketplace. And reading that guest post really inspired me to literally that weekend go and buy a website, my first website, which was a smaller purchase and it didn't really end up working out because the person had ended up lying about how much he was making and I didn't pursue it after I figured that out. But it was my first experience getting affiliate commissions and seeing that websites could actually drive traffic and revenue. And so that kind of got me hooked on the online world and it made me want to come back and then keep buying more sites. And when you found Spencer's blog, um, that's one of the gateways for me too. I listened to Smart Passive Income first and then Spencer was a guest in like 2014 or so, maybe 2013. And then I started following Spencer and it fit along with his niche site project, the first one. Then I borrowed the name for my my blog. So <laughs> kind of parallel with you pretty much. Um, and you said about five years ago. So 2016 is when you got started. Yeah. Okay. And oh, you were 2014. 
Yep. Yep. Just a few years before. <laughs> and what, what was your day job? What, um, yeah. What were you doing before this? I ran paid ads for companies. So I worked at a few agencies and then, uh, at a financial services leasing company. And, uh, I mostly did Google ads, but I did a little, little bit of Facebook and Pinterest too. Okay. And what was your educational background? Cause that's pretty, you know, pure marketing stuff, right? Yeah, I actually, I was a psychology BA major at Boston college. So it, it was not even super related, but I had gone to a career fair at BC with st- where startups were presenting and I got connected with a startup and I started doing AdWords for an internship for them. Go- that's Google paid ads. And that's how I got my foot in the door. So my background wasn't actually a fit, but my college degree was still the reason that I got my first marketing job. So I think it's important for the networking and for the that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. And how long were you at that corporate job? I My first one, I was there for like 14 months. And then I went to a different agency for just like half a year. I got a pretty big raise and I went to a single company, the financial services company for like 18 months. And then I was ready to go on my own at that point. I said, I don't want to be in the corporate world any longer. It was just too restrictive of my freedom and not having control of your time to me is worth more than any money you could make. And it's ironic because I've made so much more money doing this than I could have with someone else kind of telling me what to do each day. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I can relate a hundred percent. So you spent a few years in there. Now I'm just curious, is there anything that you miss from the corporate world? Yeah, I actually miss having a community of like a few friends or like a small little group that you see kind of every day because it can be kind of fun. And I think especially with COVID, I've been alone kind of in my little apartment each day. So I think it can be a lot more (laughs) lonely, but I still prefer it with the freedom. But I think that's probably one of the main things that I miss having that community. Got it. Yeah, that completely makes sense, especially when you're around like a good team versus uh, I've been around bad teams. So occasionally I'm like, I'm oh, just yeah. get out of this toxic environment, but okay, great. So you got into it. You spent um, a little time, I guess, kind of learning your way. So when you bought that first site, you mentioned that the uh, the seller lied about some of the very important metrics. So what did they lie about? How did how did you get tricked or did you just not know to look in, in that spot? And we're looking at this in the spirit of like helping people not make that mistake. <laughs> yeah, I, I was such a newbie. I had never invested in a website before. So I, I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what to expect. The only thing I knew was that at the time, the going multiple was a 20 times profit monthly valuation. That was pretty much the only thing I knew. And then I knew that websites could make money from reading like Spencer's blog and everything. So I poured through listings and I found one that was the seller. So he said it was making $350 a month and it was listed for sale for $1,300. So that should have been a huge red flag because I knew the 20 times monthly profit valuation multiple. So 
I knew that he could have priced it higher, but he wasn't. I mean, if he was telling the truth, but I just assumed that I had found a really good deal. So I think one red flag is definitely if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And that was something that now I I know and that I always really look into. I don't just take things blindly at face value. He even gave me access to his Google Analytics. It was getting about 100 traffic a day, and it was monetized with Amazon Associates. So when you look at it that way, there is also, if you have any, ever had any experience with Amazon Associates, you know that something with 100 traffic a day probably isn't going to be making 350 a month profit. And that's just something you can kind of use common sense to gauge or do a few simple calculations, comparing it to your own account or to similar accounts. But I didn't have that background. So I just thought, oh, it's getting 100 visits a day. It's probably making what he says it's making. And he even showed me the. So you want to look at the traffic and then compare it using common sense tests or compare it to other benchmarks that you see or that you know are actually true. So that's the second thing that you really want to dig into. And then he did give me Amazon associate screenshots as well. But you have to be super careful there because people can actually go in and change the screen. But he didn't do that. What he did was he took a screenshot. It was of the earnings for his full account, but you can have multiple websites in an Amazon Associates account. And this would have been an easy red flag for me to also spot because a lot of the sales were for Bible books, ironically, and different types of things. And this was an electronics niche. So it would have been kind of easy for me to see these probably aren't just coincidental purchases people are making when they're buying electronics. It's probably from another site. And then just cross-referencing that with analytics conversions, although I don't think he had that set up, but that would be another way to check if the number of sales match up. So I think when you get those types of things, you want to do the video screen shares, you want to dive into site-specific revenue, you want to compare it to industry benchmarks and just do your own common sense calculations. And really just when you're doing the verification process, really dive in and don't leave any stone unturned. I think it was my first site. So I went in blindly trusting this person and I just thought, oh, why would they be lying to me? And then I also think I made it the purchase in a desperate state of mind because I was at my nine to five and I wanted it to be true and I wanted to leave the nine to five. So you also have to look at, is something too good to be true? And if it is actually true, you can verify it and dig deeper into that. So I think the main lesson I learned from that purchase was to always verify things, always dig deeper, never take anything for face value. And I think that served me well for all my future purchases. So I definitely wouldn't take that purchase back because I think it gave me the experience I needed to actually do due diligence on future purchases, even though at the time it definitely stung to uh, purchase a site that wasn't making what the seller said it was making. Well said. Okay. 
Let's move into a specific site that you purchased for about $6,400 and you sold it later for I think about 24K, but you could fill in some of the gaps here. So this specific uh, example is one that we're going to dive deeper into. So kind of lay out the groundwork. Where did you find the site? How did it look at the beginning? And were there certain metrics that you really liked about it when you when you scoped it out? Yeah, and I actually made a total just to clarify. So I bought it for the 6400 and ended up making a total of like a little over 24000 So I had sold it for less than that. That was including the revenue because I did operate it for a two-year period before selling it. I found this site on Flippa. I, I pretty much purchased... The majority of my sites on Flippa and one from just a private interaction. Uh, this one, I searched Flippa using looking at the expired listings and I found this one. I messaged, I reached out to the person. This one hadn't sold a few years ago and I liked it. And so I wanted to learn more about it. And I did this with a handful of listings. And then when he responded, he added me to the Google Analytics. And I looked at everything. I looked at the site and I decided I really liked it. I also saw a big opportunity to increase the revenue quickly with an ad network switch. And so I thought this would be a really great purchase. It was getting tons of traffic every month and millions of page views. And it had a really dedicated user base. So all these things are reasons why I did end up purchasing it. So you looked at the expired listings. So why, Mm -hmm. why is that a good place to look for listings? I personally like it because I've never been one to get caught up in the bidding wars where everyone's bidding and then emotionally get attached and then you end up overpaying for the site. So I personally find when you do one that is expired that people may have overlooked, you can often get a better deal. And I don't like paying super high multiples for my the websites I buy. So I like finding the sites that were overlooked and making the offer. I, f- I think mainly you can just get the best types of deals when you look at ones that didn't sell in the past. Okay. And if it's expired, that indicates that the seller didn't want to sell it or it didn't get enough bids or it wasn't high enough. Somehow it didn't work out. Is that an accurate assessment? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this seems great to me. I didn't even know you could look it up that way. I don't spend much time on Flippa to be honest, but the point is it didn't work out how they thought and you could come in and you're the only person potentially offering them anything. They had an interest at one point in selling and then it just didn't work out how they thought. So this is a brilliant way to find maybe like undervalued um, sites. Now, was it a niche that you were looking at specifically or you were just thinking, hey, I'm looking for something with a good opportunity here? Mostly just a good opportunity. I personally don't pick sites based on niche in terms of interest. I do pick it on niche based on RPM. But at the time, I didn't pick it niche based on RPM. I only picked niche based on opportunity. And that site had such a low RPM, which is why now I I pick based on uh, more on RPM and opportunity. But I definitely don't pick based on 
interest because I think those niches tend to be too competitive. So you don't have as much chance to rank easily for keywords. How much content was on the site? Maybe like in terms of the number of posts or number of words, if if you happen to know that. Oh, that's an interesting question. It was, this was actually a forum website. So I didn't even have to add content because everyone would just add it daily. And it had, it had very many posts. It had thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of the posts and the pages and a dedicated community that would come back every day and the moderators handled it. So I never even logged in. It was super hands-off and people were very engaged. So it wasn't even as dependent on Google in that way. So I think that was one of its main advantages, but also it definitely came with some drawbacks too. And you read my mind. So what were some of those drawbacks for a forum? It's because you can't control what people are posting. And because at the end of the day, you have the moderators, but people can post anything. They can post inappropriate things. They can post copyrighted things. They can post anything. So at the end of the day, I realized that I also like having more control exactly over what is posted on my site. I don't want to take on any liability or risk in just multiple ways that can come up when other people are creating content for your site. So I just figured at that point it was made more sense for me to sell the site and just put all my focus into other sites I had that were earning quite a bit more anyway. So it was it just made sense to let it go a few years after I bought it. Did you add any new content? I know obviously it's a forum, user generated is great, but did you see an opportunity like, hey, there's there's all these eyes on the site. I can publish blog content and pull in traffic. Like what was your plan once you got it? That's a great question. I actually did I tried a little bit of that. I so I did a few things. One thing I did was I actually linked to some of my other sites on the homepage to try to give them like a link boost was one thing I did. And I think that did help a little bit, but I ended up like taking most of those links off a little bit after I did it just because I didn't want the risk. And then another thing I did, I actually did, I published a YouTube video in a different niche at the time. It might have, I think it was for a different niche site and I posted it on, yeah, I posted it on the forum header and I thought, oh, tons of people are going to click this and go to it. And it only got like a little bit of, it really wasn't as substantial as I thought because people weren't, it wasn't the niche that the forum was in. So people weren't as interested in it, interestingly. So I think that shows how important niche relevance is. And then I published a little bit on the homepage of the forum and seeing if stuff could rank. But I just, at the end of the day, I let the forum take the front stage because it was the most successful and because it had such a low RPM, it wasn't worth it for me to add too much content. The only other thing I did add was uh, a brand had reached out to me about putting a direct ad at the top of the forum and they paid me 500 euros a month to do so. And so I ended up doing that. They only did it for like eight months or so, but it ended up being a really good source of revenue that almost doubled what I was 
making from ads and I had already doubled the original revenue by uh, adding in another ad network. So I think I really saw the power of direct ads and also switching ad networks in this site. And even though it had a low RPM, it was still super profitable to run ads on. Yeah. And so so you switched from the current ad network when you bought it to a different one. Can you tell us which ones that you Mm -hmm. went to and from? Yeah, I, well, I started the site with AdSense because that's what the old owner had on it. And then I ended up adding Monumetric ads on top of it. So it, it started with AdSense. They only had a header and a footer ad. And so then I added in, I kept the AdSense, but then I added in a Monumetric header. And then I added in a Monumetric footer where you could click it out, like the one where you can X out the bottom that's a floating footer. And then I added the Monumetric video ad. And I also uh, added Monumetric and AdSense, like ads in the middle of the content. So I really kind of just piled on the ads. The foreign people probably weren't happy with me, but the it, it took it did double the revenue to do that. So for me, it was worth it. Okay. Gotcha. So were there any other things with the site when you were looking at it before you bought it, where you thought, hey, this looks like a good opportunity. Were there any other things that really stood out for you? Main thing was how I was able to buy it at a decent multiple. It was at the going 20 times multiple. And also the main thing was it had millions of page views a month. And I knew how ads were based on page views. And I saw that as a huge opportunity. And then the fact that they had such a engaged community was a huge opportunity for me because I didn't want to be as vulnerable to search to one source of traffic or search engines. So I think having that type of engaged community can insulate your website in different ways. But the main draw for me was the millions of page views. And once I had verified that, I was pretty much all in with it. Okay. And can you share how much you sold it for specifically? I don't know if I'm supposed to say the exact number. I You can pretty much calculate it if you go on to the... I share a lot of the revenue on the Herseo site on a blog post dedicated to that. But I sold it for more than I bought it for. Not a ton more, to be honest. I probably could have sold it at a much higher multiple if if I had really made more of an effort to do so. And I, looking back, I do wish I had, but at the time I just wanted to get it off my plate and focus on my other sites. And I didn't even have my her CEO email list at that point. So I couldn't send it out to my list to even buy. And I think there would have been a lot more opportunity to sell it at a higher price. It wasn't, I didn't sell it at a very high multiple at all, just more than I bought it for, but not even much, not tons more. Like not gotcha. double or anything. Even All though right. I doubled rev- I doubled the revenue. I more than doubled the revenue, but I didn't sell it for even double. So Right. Well, and I was just thinking that I would recently interviewed um, my friend Adam Smith at Niche Website Builders, and he had a site for a little bit over a month and he did a mm-hmm. handful of tweaks 
increase the earnings and then sold it really quickly. And I thought to myself, oh, it's you doubled the revenue and probably a short order. You maybe could have kept it for six months or something and then flipped mm-hmm. it for almost double. So what, why do you th- why wasn't your multiple higher, do you think? I think because it was a forum site and maybe other people recognize that had more liability and maybe that was one reason it hadn't sold in the first place. I think that might have been the main reason. And I think if I had sold it on a different marketplace, there's a possibility it could have sold for a higher multiple. I sold it with latonis.com. And I think they sell websites at a little bit of a lower multiple. I actually had tried to list it with Empire Flippers, but they told me it was too small of a site for their listing. So I wasn't able to list it with them. And I think I could have shopped around just for a different broker and I could have publicized it more. So I think the marketing of how I sold it was also probably a reason that it didn't get a high multiple. I can't blame it all on the website. I could have done a better job marketing it, I think, and selling it. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Well, it's all a learning experience. So, okay. Very, very good. Any other thoughts on this specific site before we move on to uh, some other topics? No, I think, I think you covered most of it. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. You probably heard me talk about the Ezoic site speed accelerator, which is being retired and it is being replaced by leap L E A P. And depending on when you listen to this episode, it might be out already or it could be on the way. So here are some fast facts about leap. Number one, it is free and Ezoic is replacing the site speed accelerator with leap prior to the Google UX update. Leap will be completely free when using Ezoic's monetization, that is the ad tester. And Leap includes all the features and tools needed to achieve good core web vitals. And I'm reading the copy here. Good is italicized. So maybe I would use air quotes. I'm not 100% sure what good means, but it's definitely not bad and it's positive. So it's going to be helpful for your core web vitals. Leap is the new tool set, a new tool set to uncover and fix the root causes of poor load times. And Ezoic will provide data on how various technologies and hosts affect all sites. So there's going to be a lot of cool data. You can sign up to uh, be notified. I think it's pretty easy to get to. It's um, link in the description. All right. I'm not going to read out a, a link here, but you can sign up to be notified and you can start using it right away. If you're using Ezoic, you'll be able to, you know, hook right in. Now, check out Ezoic Leap. Thanks for the sponsorship. And uh, if you're not using Ezoic, if you've never checked it out, if you're not quite sure, go have a look at the blog. There's tons of great information. And I really like working with the folks at Ezoic. Let's get back to the interview. So when you're looking for new sites, well, actually, let me back up. Are you 
the kind of person who is trying to pull together a portfolio and you're always looking to acquire new sites or are you kind of at a point where you have what you want and you're stable and you're, you're holding steady? Good question. I am not specifically looking to actively purchase a website at this moment unless one came into my radar that really looked great. But I am looking to sell or to send out website deals to my list. So I am always looking for website deals in that sense, but I don't search them out because it just takes so much time each day. I'm currently working on two specific sites. I started an e-commerce site six months ago that I'm focusing on. It's making a few hundred each month right now. And I'm really trying to ramp it up and ramp up the Google search of it because now it has a little bit more authority and it's uh, past the six-month sandbox period. So I'm working on that. And then I also recently bought an expired domain. Expired domains, I hadn't even heard of really until recently, like the power that they have. So I recently purchased one from Odie's and I'm building out that. I actually have to get licensed for this particular niche. So it's been taking me a few months to get <laughs> licensed to sell it. It's Yeah, it's very strange that, but it's cool in the sense that there is kind of a barrier to entry for other people because I don't think other people would take the time or expense to get licensed to publish in that niche. So I'm not going to be competing against other SEOs like you or Spencer or anyone. <laughs> so I'll have more of a leg up there, which is okay. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah it's uh, Otis, O-D-Y-S, right? Oh, Otis. Yeah, I probably pronounced it wrong, but O-D-Y-S, yeah. They're, they're a fine sponsor of the show, so we'll spend a second. I um, didn't know either. I just kept saying O-D-Y-S, and yeah. then someone told me, uh, yeah, you could just say Otis, which- Otis, okay. Yeah, so that's shorter. But then if you if you if if I were to just say Otis, people may try to look it up, and they would spell it wrong, so O-D-Y-S. Yeah, like O-D-I-S, yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't know either. I mean, you just read this stuff online, right? You don't know like how to say it or pronounce it or whatever, so- Anyway, <laughs> too funny. I, I, yeah. I pronounce so many things wrong because I read everything and then I'll just say the word and it's definitely not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun the first time you say it. And uh, yeah, I have a number of those as well. Okay, <laughs> so so you you aren't actively looking generally, but hypothetically, if you were looking, what are some of the like, specific things. I know you, you said that you look at sometimes the expired listings to maybe find a, a good deal, but is there like a sweet spot in the price range, for example, that you're, that you look for where, you know, you can add value and help grow from that point on? Mm -hmm. I personally like to purchase sites that I feel I can make back in a year, a year's time period. I don't feel as comfortable purchasing sites where you have to wait like two to three years or more to make them back, which is part of the reason I, I don't think I would really feel comfortable buying a site at like a 60 times multiple, which I know some people do in today's market, unless I had like a clear plan. Like I knew, okay, switching the ad network would double it. This gets it down to 30 times. And then I can do like an SEO growth plan and then get it down to like 15 times. So it's like, I personally have to have those multiple quick wins and long-term wins where I know like, okay, I can make this back in a year or it's not worth it to me. Like I, 
my two successful purchases I made back in like a 10 month time period for each one. And then it was just pure profit after that. But I think there's so much changing in the online world and there's so much risk that when you start buying sites at a 60 times multiple, it's almost like, could you have bought a different type of asset instead? If, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And are there specific like monetizations that you especially like? It sounds like you're big into the ad networks in general, but do you generally look for those versus affiliate sites, for example? I only really look for ad-based sites. The first site I bought that was the the person was lying about the revenue was the affiliate, but I found that ad-based sites my ad-based sites have actually had tended to have a higher RPM, at least my most successful site has a super high RPM. That's even higher than I think than most affiliate sites. And then they're just even more hands-off. And I think there's less risk involved. And one thing I've never liked about affiliate sites is someone, you're driving all this traffic and then you're driving them to someone else and they're probably never going to come back to you. So it's almost like a wasted opportunity where you could have retained them and sold your own products to them, which is also why I started my e-commerce site. I know there are lots of good arguments for affiliate sites, but they've just never been, to me, they don't seem as lucrative and they don't seem as good for long-term profits or long-term relationships with customers. Okay. And how do you approach negotiating? I tend to like to offer a fair price to the person just because I know if I was selling my site, I would want someone to offer me a fair price because I think that piques their interest and makes them more likely to want to talk to you. So I usually will offer the going multiple when I'm talking to people. I usually just reach out and I say, hi, I'm interested in purchasing your site. Would you be able to add me to the Google Analytics? And that's usually the first introduction sentence I use. So then I'm not committed at that point, but I'm showing interest. And I'm also showing or getting access to one of the verification methods. So then usually if they're interested, they'll add me to their analytics And that's a great way to just start the conversation and to get more information about their site. So then you can look and oftentimes after looking, you'll say, okay, this actually isn't even what I wanted. So then you can just say, oh, thank you for adding me. I'm actually not looking for this. And you can give a reason because I like to give a reason because I know when I would want someone to give me a reason why they didn't want it if they had me add them to the analytics. And if I do want it, then... I'll ask for more verification methods or start making offers after I've looked into everything. So I don't try to drag it out. I pretty much ask, show interest, ask for their analytics access, then ask for all the access to everything else. And then if I'm interested, I'll just make the offer and then they'll either accept it or counter. But I've found that most people just accept the offer but it might take them a few months. Like they may say, I need to think about it because most of these processes, when I bought a site, it has taken at least a month or longer. So I think it's a big decision that people 
are making, but you also want to be respectful of their time and also message and treat them how you would want to be treated if you were in their shoes. Okay. And it's interesting that they usually just accept your offer. I mean, I guess you're Mm -hmm. making a fair offer, but you'd think they'd haggle just a little bit, but (laughs) I guess not. Yeah. I have you ever had people haggle you on price at all? Yeah. You know, I don't sell a ton, but you know what? I think it's just in my nature. I'm always like, regardless, like I want there to be a little bit of back and forth. (laughs) Although Mm -hmm. I think when we bought, like we bought a house here that I'm sitting in, in in the last uh, year and a half and depending on the time frame, right? Like we sort of needed to move at a, in a certain amount of time. So I was less apt to haggle back and forth, but some of the other like things that I've done online. Yeah. I'm always like, just, just a little bit here and there. Like, <laughs> you I don't like know the negotiation? <laughs> well, it's funny. I never, I never did in the past. But then, as I've done more work for myself, then yes. Especially, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple recent deals where the negotiate, and it wasn't necessarily selling a site, but it's like I had the leverage point, so I was taking full advantage because in the past, right? I think mm-hmm. when you're buying a car or something like you have some information, but there's almost nothing you could do. So the one time that I had leverage, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to use this. (laughs) I love yeah. When you know that you have the, you hold the cards or the leverage. I think it's important that you do use it because the other person is still getting what they want at the end of the day, but you can just use your leverage to your advantage a little bit. I'm the same. I like to negotiate and change the terms, but I think some people are just more accepting like, Oh, she presented this offer. I should accept it. And I'm the same where I'm going to like try to get a deal, but I'm not trying to hurt the other person. I'm just trying to get each of us what we want, but with my interest first. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, the key thing is the other party, which we've both been on either side of the table, but the other party is getting some value and Mm -hmm. they may have some strategic value that you don't know about and they're able to pay more. I interviewed a guy named uh, Mushfiq. I think he's in your rough, roughly the same area perhaps, but like geographically, but the point is he, he had some deals with specific companies for higher affiliate commission rates. So he automatically Mm -hmm. knew that he could just earn more with a given site because he had better terms with the places he was pulling in revenue from. So he knew Mm -hmm. he could pay like 45 X monthly multiple and still like come out ahead at the end of the day. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. So he can use that as knowledge when he's purchasing the site and then uh, did he use leverage to get higher affiliate commissions too? Yes. I think he had like a sort of a vertical of sites in one, one niche. So he had um, like, Hey, I can get you more traffic. He could approach the company and say, Hey, I can bring in more traffic because I haven't, I have these multiple sites that are all ranking for these terms. So it's not just, one website that you're making a deal with, I have like four of them in the outdoor space, for example. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, kind of, kind of interesting anyway. So when you're yeah. buying a site, is there anything that you do from a negotiating standpoint that's different than when you're selling it or buying uh, it? Sorry, I said that wrong. No, I think you said, yeah, yes. I, so I think I did a very poor job selling my site. I would, uh, in the future, I think to actually increase my leverage, I would get multiple offers, like wait until I had multiple people interested and just show it to more people. So that's one thing I would do again if I had the chance because I just waited until the first person made the offer and then I accepted and then kind of went through there. But I think that's the main mistake I made when I was selling it in terms of negotiation because I was just trying to get it off my plate. And then when I buy a site, I definitely... Uh, I just go in with the fair uh, multiple offer. And then how I mentioned how people tend to just accept that when I've made it, especially because these are sites that didn't sell in the past. So they probably didn't receive fair offers in the past, which is maybe why they've been so accepting of the offers that I've made. I think that's the main difference when I've, when I've been buying or selling and negotiating Okay, you've been very uh, generous sharing uh, some of the mistakes, and perhaps you've made some some others too. But were there <laughs> any <you. laughs> were there any big wins that were sort of surprising, and you you didn't realize sort of the opportunity that you were stepping into? Yes, actually, the uh, my main site, the most successful one, I purchased it, and I didn't realize that how high the RPM was. I mean, I knew what it was, but it was such a high RPM. I stepped into that niche. And when I started growing the traffic, the revenue just started increasing at such a high rate. And I was not prepared or I just mentally, I didn't really realize the correlation there because previously the site I had bought before that was still successful had so many page views, so much traffic. and it was making at its peak just a little over a thousand a month and it was getting millions and millions of page views and traffic. So I didn't realize that such small amounts of traffic could make so much money. And I, that was not something that I did on purpose. Like I didn't go into that niche thinking that it would be so lucrative or that really realizing how, when you increase traffic, on a niche that is so high RPM, you actually get that increase in revenue at such a high and fast rate. So I think that was really a blessing that I cannot take credit for initially. And now it's something I look for when I buy a site or when I'm creating my own sites. I really put RPM at the forefront, but I think I was so lucky or blessed in that sense because if you aren't aware of how RPM can affect your revenue and just how you need less traffic to make more money when you have a good RPM, then you might never focus on those types of sites. So it is, for me, that was probably the best unexpected uh, blessing in that way. Why is the RPM so high for that site? If if you can share like, or wh- whatever you can share, it'll be great. I think because it's, so it's in the financial niche. And I think that's the main reason. I think some companies in that niche are willing to pay 
higher RPMs. And I think one way you can research that is when you're looking at sites, look at the RPM that it has, but then also look at, you can go on Flippa, search for sites in your niche and look at their RPMs. And you can do this when you're creating your own site or when you're buying a site, and then you can see what the averages are. And then you can see if it's worth it to actually pursue. Um, Okay. Got it. And for this site, which we talked earlier, so we're, we won't share anything super specific about it. Um, in, including like, uh, what you pay or what you earn or anything like that. That's totally okay. <laughs> we, we should get into what you've done to, to grow the site. So what did you do? It sounds like things are going really well with it. I have mainly done pretty boring keyword research and content creation. And what I usually do is I pull up Google Chrome and I use the Moz Chrome extension. And then I pull up the Google Keyword Planner and I'll just brainstorm lists of ideas and then get like a few hundred or like thousand or so keywords just pulled up in a spreadsheet. And then you can search them in Chrome, and then you can see using the Moz Chrome plugin what the domain authority and the page authority of the pages that are currently ranking, and then just compare that to the domain authority of your website, and then see if it makes sense if your site has a chance to rank for those specific keywords. And if it does, then just add them to your content creation sheet. At least this is a process that I found to be pretty easy and helpful. And then I'll just go through and create the content, targeting the specific keywords. And for me, just doing that over time, I've seen huge traffic growth and the revenue growth. So it's just a process where you create the content and you give it the best chance to rank by actually targeting specific keywords that have volume and also have potential to rank because you don't want to be writing tons of content if there are high DA sites in your niche that are just outranking you and you don't even have a chance and you're just wasting your time. But content creation for me is the most effective way to grow a site's revenue, even if it's boring and not sexy or fun. (laughs) It turns out that's like the best thing to do for like most businesses is be boring stuff. It's just work. So do you write the content yourself or are you working with an agency at all? I get asked that question a lot and I I think people are usually surprised that I I write the content myself and I do quality over quantity of content in terms of content and even just keyword volume but or word volume but I I found that when the content is bad you get a high bounce rate and then Google actually does seem to use engagement as a ranking factor so I've just found it doesn't even rank And it tends to, it just eats into your website's profits because I like to keep all those profits and I like to put the money into different types of investments because I do feel websites tend to be one of the riskier types. And to me, pouring all your money back into it when an update could wipe it out the next month is not the best use of profits. 
although many people probably disagree. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because I, I mean, well, I'm, I'm biased, right? I sell a course <laughs> in this area and stuff, but I mean, I readily say these are probably some of the risk. I mean, some of the risky is vest riskiest investments that one can make, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. You can get these great returns, but that always has the trade-off. And that is, you know, you could lose traffic and it's not like a piece of property, right? Real estate can hold mm -hmm. some intrinsic value. A website can literally go to, you know, pretty much a zero and have basically no value. So it is fairly risky. And I think this is a good transition over to the financial independence area, which I'm, I'm into, I have another podcast in, in the financial independence oh. space too. I, I just started it. So it's, it's fairly young, but oh, to yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link and it's um yeah, it's been fun to learn about the, the FI community and that sort of thing. So w where are you investing? If you can share some, you know, broad, um, broad areas, I guess. I, I had put a lot of money just into stocks and that was a while ago. Uh, I was just putting my money there to kind of hold it and let it grow. And then I put a bunch more money in the, during the dip, like during the COVID dip. So I, my timing was good there. And then I actually recently have lost confidence in the U S dollar and also the stock market. So I was not feeling good about keeping my money in cash or in stocks just because the government is printing so much money and we're going into a ton of debt. So I think the future of the U.S. dollar is going to be a little bit higher inflation. At least that seems like a very likely course. And then also uh, the stock market, I'm not super confident just because companies' valuations have kept rising and they're not, they haven't been as profitable because of all the government regulations and shutdowns. So it's just funny how the stocks still go up, but the profits aren't reflecting that they're doing pretty poorly. So I was really looking into alternative investments for over a year, this past like full year. And I ended up deciding I really wanted to get real estate, which is funny you mentioned because it's, it has such, you have to pay so much more to get lower profit each month than you would if you're buying a website, which is funny because I was so attracted to websites at first because you can buy ones and then make the money back pretty quickly and just really scale it. So they have more opportunity than most real estate. But I was looking at real estate and I decided I really want to buy uh, something I can rent out and make an income on that also will be an asset that can appreciate in value where even if the dollar goes to zero, people always need a home and it's something where it has the intrinsic value. So I think it'll keep pace with any type of inflation, but also return the cash income each month. So I ended up looking, my parents live in Austin, Texas, and I ended up looking in that area and I found a duplex actually in, I closed March 2nd just outside of Austin in the Georgetown area. So it's uh, kind of fun and I'm making some positive cash flow. It's funny because the cash flow I'm making is pretty similar, like the 
positive profitable cash flow is similar to the amount I was making after I like doubled and then doubled the revenue again of my first site that I paid six thousand four hundred for. <laughs> so I paid six thousand four hundred for this cash flow for, on a website, and then I paid much much more for this cash flow on a duplex. Right, but I. It has the value in terms of being an investment plus the cash flow, and it's so much more stable. And you get the appreciation. I think it's a good place. I'm so happy, and I think it's a great place to park my money. Okay, nice. Yeah, and great, great area, a lot of growth in Austin. So, yeah, it's a cool spot. Yeah, and I, it's interesting all the points that you brought together, the geopolitical things now we're getting into, but basically um, the, I I invest typically in index funds. And then I, I had a bad experience with the real estate. Like when I first got Mm -hmm. out of school and stuff. So I'm like, "Ah, I'm not, I'm just not interested. But right now stocks are like at a, all-time high we're recording like in Mm -hmm. may of 2021 which you know people can look back and see like we're at a in a huge like growth trajectory and all that stuff but also the housing market is insane too and you know Mm -hmm. generally most markets so was it pretty tough to find a place in in austin or wherever else you were looking to it was insane every so a house would go on market i would have to, my realtor would literally have to do a showing and I was in Chicago for most of it. So we would do like a FaceTime showing that day. And then I'd have to make an offer that day. And then because they literally go off market in a day. So they go on market and then like the next day, they're pretty much gone unless the realtor gave it like two days for offers to come in. And it was super stressful because I would get my heart set on something. I would put down the offer And then I'd be waiting and we just wouldn't, and then I wouldn't get it. And I, my realtor actually, he's really great because he would talk to the agent and he would kind of get a feel for what the price was. So we would actually adjust our price based on that a few times. And we like almost got, like we got it, we were, we had this, a little over asking price on a duplex I really wanted because he had talked and figured out the price range, but then we didn't have all the seller concessions that the other offer had. And so we ended up losing that one. But this one I'd actually, the one I got an all cash offer had bid on it and they were selling one on the same street and the all cash offer won, even though mine was actually higher again this time. And then the all cash offer ended up falling through on my duplex. Well, it wasn't mine at the time. So then they reached out to my agent and they said, we're only reaching out to you. Do you want to make an offer? And so then we offered 20 K less than what I'd bid previously because so he had actually this duplex. One of the renters was behind on rent for a few months because of COVID and they had lost their job. So I had originally been on the other duplex and I think the other bidder didn't realize the person was behind on rent. So I think that could have been a reason they dropped it. But then when they brought it back to my realtor, I was able to offer the 20K under asking and the person has been back on track for months now and they've paid me every time on time and everything. So it ended up being a way to get a good deal. And this was before things got even crazier because 
when I started looking in November, duplexes were starting at like 400K or around that range. And now they're starting like 500K, like the same exact duplexes. And I've seen ones on the same street sell for like over 100K more than like four months ago. So it's it's just insane to see how the market has already increased that much. It doesn't seem... I think, I wonder, do you think people are scared of inflation too, or it just seems like everyone's wanting to buy real estate? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't think most people are as insightful as you thinking of inflation and buying <laughs> now while it's technically, you know, it's a little cheaper, but I know it's the same way with a lot of places that I've heard about and I'm in like Boulder County, Colorado. So a lot of people are trying to move around here too. So I think um, part of it is just COVID and folks are thinking, all right, I'm working at home. I want a home office. I need to have like a space. We we're here more let's upgrade. So I think part of it is that. And then just, there's some older homes everywhere and people see how much that they can sell. Of course they have to move somewhere else if they sell their, their place, but they're, they're thinking, Hey, we bought this place for a hundred K 25 years ago. Now we can sell it for 600. So let's do that and get the hell out of here. So I I imagine (laughs) part of it is that too, where people just see like how much they can sell their place for. Yeah. To me though, I think if you love your location and you like your house, So you're selling it for, you can maybe sell it for a huge amount that you never thought possible, but then what are you going to do? Go move to a location that you don't like as much in a less desirable house. And then maybe you'll have like 500 K extra cash in the bank, but then what if inflation or like, what are you going to do with the cash? So it is interesting, but yeah, people are definitely taking advantage of the market to sell um, for a lot, which is kind of fun too. Yeah. Yeah. So one, one other thing, and you mentioned financial independence before. So do you consider yourself FI? I love the FI, just the whole idea of the movement in sense where people save their money and then they're able to be financially independent and not dependent on a job and they get to live on their own terms. So I really identify with that, but I would say I... I don't count. I think if you're making money from websites, I don't count that as like passive income or like guaranteed income for life. So I think my main source of income doesn't really qualify in my mind as like being financially independent or retired or anything. I don't really consider that. But, and then my income from my duplexes wouldn't fully cover my cost of living at the moment. So I think I'm probably not at that threshold yet. But I love the idea. And then I think it's something I'm probably working toward because I, I would love to consider myself like Phi. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself part of that or at that level yet? Yes. Basically, and I'll, I'll send you a, an episode of the, the podcast that, that I recorded with my friend Carl. But there are a few definitions that one can use. So generally, I would say... Yes. If you dig deeper into like expenses and stuff, one can make an argument, oh, like if you want to spend 
you know, some huge amount of money and travel the world, that's more expensive. So that would break the math. Everything would, mm-hmm. would f- fall off. But, um, but generally, yes. Um, uh, and it's based on the 4% yeah. rule. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that? Uh, yeah. Like the, is that the drawdown or living on interest? Living on Yeah. Exactly. So for the the people that don't know, we'll put a link in the show notes and stuff, but basically you need to save like 25 times, which is the inverse of 4%, 25 times your annual expenses. So if your expenses are say 40,000 a year, then you need a million bucks basically. And then you you can put it into an index fund where you can assume some uh, return. There's debate on that. Some people would say, you know, 7%, other people would say, you know, 10%. But if you zoom out far enough and look at a long enough timeline, then you can see um, it sort of evens out a little bit. You have to take into account inflation. A lot of people don't think about taxes. There's a few other factors in there and all that. But uh, the point is, if you save 25 times your annual expenses, you're in the right range. And then you have a lot of flexibility with what you could do. So, and, and I'll, like I said, I'll send you that episode. You could listen to it and then it gets into all the studies. There's data behind it and it's uh, a fa- fairly broad way to look at the definition of FI, which you brought up another good point. Also, Stacy, with um, just the, the retirement thing, I don't even mention the fire part, like the retire early because most of us are doing something, you know, even if we don't have a corporate job, we're like working on a, a pet project or we're working on websites, things we enjoy. But if you're, you know, you have flexibility, you could work on whatever you want. Right. So. Oh, that's true. I think it would be boring for like us to be retired. Like we're, we have so much energy and like, what would we do all day? Just kind of wander outside or like, I feel bad for people who just sit watching TV all day or, it just seems like such a bleak way to live. And I think we both love working on projects and just having stuff in our life. So I think it's more about feeling the financial security and feeling that you're safe with that, but then also having your projects. And then it's always fun to grow income and look at the numbers going up. So we're sort of winding down a little bit here. So is there any... I guess, general tips you want to give for people that want to follow in your footsteps and maybe they're interested in, you know, buying a site versus growing one from scratch. Definitely. I would say if you're interested in buying a site, it's very hard to do unless you have a little bit of experience growing your own site or maybe watching someone else buy sites. You can read a lot of case studies, but as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, you can buy a site, you'll be thrown into it, and you might not know how to verify revenue, niche uh, RPMs, industry averages. You could easily make a mistake. So if you're going to do that, my recommendation would actually be to create your own site first, monetize it and get comfortable with everything because you'll be able to make better decisions and you'll be less likely to make a poor purchase. And then if you really want to dive both feet head first, then you should purchase a lower cost site 
because that way, if you make any mistakes, it'll be a learning experience and you'll be able to build your future site purchases on that. So ironically, it's like the saying where people think they can't get a job unless they have the five years of experience. It's kind of the same in website investing. You need the experience to end up making good decisions that and buying good websites. So try to get the experience somehow and that'll benefit you in the long run. Well said. <laughs> Thanks. So uh, before we before we finish up and I'll let you mention where folks can find you, you were telling me that you do some uh, a little bit of service and uh, I'll just leave it at that so you could tell us what you can help people out with. Yeah, thanks for remembering, Doug. I have started recently doing a little bit of a Harrow link outreach white hat link building service. And I do have a handful of clients. If that's something that interests anyone listening today, you can reach out to me at stacy at her.ceo, stacy at her.ceo. And I'd be happy to talk to you to see if that is a fit. We've seen some really great links, including a recent placement in time.com and other similar ones. So it can be a great uh, link opportunity there. Cool. And have you used Haro yourself in, a lot in the past? Oh, a ton. I, I love, I used it on all my sites to build their authority, including ones, uh, I've built from scratch, but also ones I've purchased. You, it takes time, but you see such huge leaps. Like each year, I'll see like a ten to twenty DA like leap in my site, and it's pretty much from Harrow. And then, I suppose natural links and also just guest posting, and it's not all from Harrow, but it's it really makes a big difference. Very do cool. You, yeah. Do you personally use Harrow? I started playing with it a little bit in the last eight months or so, 10 months, something like that. I really didn't in the past. And then I recorded a podcast episode where I said I didn't think Haro was a very good idea. And then <laughs> several people emailed me and told me I was wrong. And then I backtracked, <laughs> tested it out. And I actually have a course on it, by the way. So it oh. teaches like how to do it. And I like as people were telling me how great it was, I realized, oh, there's going to be services that pop up. So you have a service. One of my other friends, mm -hmm. Shauna, has a service as well. So yeah, it looks like an area where, I mean, in marketing, agencies have been doing this for a long time where they work on behalf of clients and it's just part of the ecosystem with Haro that it's outsourced and people do it as a service. There's no, there's no issue with that at all. So... Awesome. I didn't realize you had a course. So yeah, you're super into Hara. Yeah. Haro, it's, I'll, 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 uh, yeah, I think it's Haro, but who knows how to yeah, pronounce stuff. No, right? I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. I have a tendency, like we've come to know that I just pronounce things incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stacy, where can people find you? Anyone looking to find me can go to her.ceo, her.ceo. That's my website. I post case studies. I post my own experiences. I post people on my email list experiences. And I have a podcast people can listen to as well as an email list people can join. So 
you can sign up for either the website uh, investing waitlist or the general email list. I don't send out many emails, but that's a great place to take a look and get to, kn- get to know me. And you can also email me at staCY at her.co, Stacy at her.co. And I love to say hi and just talk to you guys as well. Thanks a lot to Stacy for joining me today and definitely check out her stuff at her.ceo, which is a pretty cool domain name. And she's been uh, really making the rounds and being guest on other shows as well. So check out some of those. Uh, some of my friends have interviewed her like uh, Spencer over at Niche Pursuits and Adam and Mark interviewed her over at Niche Website Builders on their podcast. So Anyway, I think I'll leave it at that for today and we'll catch you on the next episode. 